Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Who is grateful to be in the house of God tonight? I am grateful to be here with you. I uh, was been reflecting this week and is just almost overwhelmed that we are two weeks away from a really special Sunday, which will be like our formal seven-year birthday as a church. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool to me. It makes me start to feel kind of old, to be honest. I'm like, gosh, I was like a kid when this thing started, and now I'm a dad. Uh, but one of the things that we've really, even at an elder level, we've prayed and discerned and felt the Lord speaking to us is just the significance, you know, that seven, seven is a big number in the scripture. It's like these seven-year cycles we see throughout the Old Testament, and every seven years, Moses instructed the people of Israel to gather together to kind of read, they would read through the covenant. They would reread the vows. They would refresh themselves and remember where they had come from and then look forward to where they were going again. And uh, we're, we're going to do that in two weeks from the Sunday. And so I just want to invite everyone to really be here. That's a part of Riverhouse. Um, you know, I know some people come at varying frequencies, uh, but I just would love next, that two Sundays from now to be one of those Sundays that everyone really prioritizes. I think every Sunday should be prioritized, by the way, but I also know that the world that we live in, um, and if you're on live stream, I would just love if you're a live stream regular attender that if you possible, you could come and be here in the house two weeks from uh, tonight, and we're going to have a really special, it's going to be a really special night, and we're going to look back, but we're going to look forward and we're going to re, uh, remember what God has done. And then also, I, I, I've been working, actually really laboring with the Lord to bring forth language that I think articulates with maybe greater potency and clarity who we are. Like, what is the identity that God is building into this local church? I think every local church expresses, like a sibling expresses the same DNA of our, of our parents um, but something unique at the same time. And we have been on a journey, and I'm really excited for what I get to release uh, two weeks from tonight. So just wanted to give an invitation from my heart. It's going to be awesome. I heard there might be a choir, heard some other fun things, but uh, it's, it's going to be amazing. So be there, yeah? If you're not, you're all in trouble. So don't bother coming back. Just joking. Uh, let's, uh, let's stand. I'm going to read a few scriptures, I think 16 or 17 verses out of Acts chapter 2. If you are old-fashioned like me, you still believe in books with paper, you can turn them yourself and read from them. If not, you can look to the screen. Just whatever you do, don't take out your phone. Because the Lord knows you'll probably get a text message and then you won't be reading scripture. So uh, here we go. This is uh, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all gathered together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, 
Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, they are full of sweet wine. But Peter, taking his stand with the 11, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day that this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. I'm gonna stop there. That is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. We can be seated. Just join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you that your word is living and active. It is not just sharing history with us, though it is, but it is inviting us into a whole new reality called the kingdom of God that was inaugurated by your spirit, by your death, your resurrection, and your sending of the spirit. And we would just say, Holy Spirit, would you fill this room again tonight? And would you reveal to us the wonder of Jesus and sweep us into your story, God? We love you and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to continue the book of Acts. Someone was giving me a tease this week when they said, I'm, you're still in Acts 2. And I'm like, yeah, I'm still in Acts 2. Uh, and uh, we, we, they're like, how long are we going to be in Acts? I'm like, I don't know exactly. But uh, we will probably take a little bit more of a pace through the text over the coming weeks. But really, the first couple chapters of Acts are so significant to studying the groundwork for this story, which, again, is a story that has a peculiar beginning because we're supposed to read it, that it's the continuation of Jesus. Jesus's earthly ministry that Luke recorded in the gospel, he's setting up, he's using the first two chapters to say, though there's a really significant transition that's happening, namely that Jesus died, rose from the dead, and then went to heaven, somehow the story that started with Jesus of Nazareth is continuing still today. So he's using two chapters to build this theology of dependence upon the Holy Spirit for the work of ministry and for the intimacy of the church with heaven to continue despite Jesus being gone. Yeah? And Acts is a strange story. It's a strange beginning. It also has a strange ending because the ending is not an ending at all. The ending is just this open-ended that says, now it's your turn. N.T. Wright talks about scripture as this great play of creation, the fall, Israel, Jesus, the church. But we are the actors of this play that it's not quite finished yet. Like we've actually been grafted in when we became believers in Jesus, when we became born again disciples of the Lord. We got grafted into a story that's in progress. And as we become aware of the story that has been happening, we enter into it and we become these improv actors that stay faithful to what the story has been, but are pioneering new expressions of it all the time. This is the book of Acts. It's saying, welcome to the story. Welcome to God's story that's actually your story too. Woo! 
That's like, that's good news. We weren't just randomly put here on earth. We were created to be a part of something so much bigger and more significant than we could ever realize. This is the story of God, and he loves using us to be a part of it. Amen? Amen. All right, so I want to contextualize Pentecost to build a little bit of some understanding. Um, I, 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 I talked about Pentecost from one angle of, of consecration, and I just want to maybe rebuild some context and then talk about what I want to talk about tonight, which is the Holy Spirit. Woohoo! Yeah, I love the Holy Spirit. So the first thing, say the last days for me. So it says in the last days, Peter is, uh, you know, who's heard the word eschatology? Who cringes when they hear that word sometimes? You're like, oh, end times. What's that movie called? Uh, Left Behind. Who's read Left Behind or watched it? Woo, bad, bad. Kirk Cameron, bad. Just joking. All right. <laughs> Some of you haven't watched that. All the young people are like, I don't even know who that is. Anyways. Uh, the last days, uh, the, the, this last days is this is Peter actually saying, hey, he's answering the question, what does this mean that wind and fire have filled this upper room and these disciples that rested upon disciples and disciples begin doing exploits that don't make sense and can't be understandable and can't be explained and we know they can't be explained and the Holy Spirit still can't be explained and so it creates this division that some people are marveling and some people are mocking. Yeah? Who's experienced that in the church today? I would argue that the Holy Spirit's the most controversial figure in the history of human of humanity, and especially within the church, because you, you can't explain. And what we can't explain, it creates somewhat of a crisis in our lives. But there's this unexplainable event. They say, what does this mean? And Peter says, this is actually something of eschatology. He says, this is, this is something to do with the end of the story. That's what eschatology means. It's the end of the story, right? That whole play that I just talked about, it has an ending. And eschatology is talking about the ending. And the scripture is full of eschatological language all the way back to Genesis. The first time we would see it is Genesis chapter 3, where after the fall of man, there's this, there's this promise. It says, well, from the woman, a seed's going to come that's going to crush the serpent, and the serpent's going to strike his heel. It's speaking about the end of the story. And scripture always has these little moments that are speaking to the end. And the story of the Jews is that they had been waiting for thousands of years. And they had literally been pulled by the promises of God over centuries that were saying the end, 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 the end. There's an end coming where things are going to be made new. Where the Garden of Eden that was lost is going to be restored into something more than what we can imagine. A new heaven and a new earth earth and a new mountain of the Lord where we can come into the sanctuary of God and behold him and be in his presence, right? So this had been this hope that had literally been brewing for century upon century and generation upon generation. And this moment happens when the Holy Spirit falls on this upper room. They say, what does this mean? And Peter goes, my gosh, this is the end of the story. This is what the prophets, this is what the patriarchs, this is what they've been speaking about, that there's an end coming. And he says, this is what it means. It says, in the last days, the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out. Whoa. This is really cool moment. This is like so huge what Peter's saying. This is like wild. Wait, you mean this is what was, this is the hope? This is the end? 
You say, well, what do you mean? It's 2,000 years later and we'll steer, we're still here, yeah? Right? That, that's the mystery here. But the reality is that what we would read and what we should read the day of Pentecost as is, is, is if the end of the story is a wedding, which it is, the Holy Spirit falling at Pentecost was the bell ringing that was starting the ceremony. <laughs> if, if, if the end of the story is a choir of nations bringing praises to God, which it is, the day of Pentecost was the conductor raising his hand for the first note to be played. If the end of the story is a prodigal son coming home to a father, the day of Pentecost was the days their eyes first met at a distance. If the end of the story is a father bestowing inheritance to his son, this is the first fruits of the inheritance. This is the beginning of the end. Oh, this is the beginning of the end. This is like the ding, ding, ding in the day of Pentecost. And then every consecutive little Pentecost sense is, in, is meant by God to awaken the church to the reality that we're living at the end of the story. The story when Jesus is coming to redeem all things and make everything new that was destroyed by sin. This is what we're getting invited into. This is what it means to be filled by the Spirit. You get awakened to the reality of what's taking place. You, you, you go from just trying to find your way through the wilderness of life and try to make sense of it all to waking up to the reality of what is happening. It's the beginning of the end. This is why you would never want to be born any more than right now. Right now is the, the, the most cutting edge moment that has ever been in the story of God since the beginning of creation. We are as close as we've ever been to the end because we are pressing in day by day. We are getting pulled. The now of the kingdom, it has started and we are living. We were born, the church was born in the tension of pressing into the not yet that it would come now. Yeah, you guys are like looking at me. Yeah. So, so Pentecost is the last days. One of the names for the Holy Spirit is the spirit of the eschatos, the spirit of the end. He's, he's giving us the first fruits of the end of the story. This is what, it, this is, what ha is happening here. This is what we read. You guys are going to get this. Pentecost, and I, I spoke on this last time I preached, which was few, feels like it was like three years ago, because that weekend with Rich was like, wow, took it out of me. Anybody blessed the last two weeks around here? My goodness, the Lord, the Spirit of God has been manifesting. What I mean by that is there's an openness. There's something, an observable reality of his presence. I had a group of men in my living room at this, the early this, uh, on a Friday morning this week, and the Spirit is Manifest. I'm just hearing testimonies of these God encounters that the spirit of the end is breaking in still to our stories, literally right now within our community. It's amazing. Right? But I shared a few weeks ago that Pentecost, um, one of the ways that we can understand it is it was, a, it was a, a festival that was linked to the giving of the law at Sinai. So it was a covenant renewal festival. Right? And so they would gather, they would remember. Part of Pentecost would be remembering what the Lord did on Mount Sinai when he came down like fire, glory, 
and gave the law. And so we can read the book of Pentecost as if a new law, a new covenant is being given to the church, right? A new covenant through the Holy Spirit sent by Jesus. And one of the things about about Sinai, which we talked about, um, if you have your Bibles, actually, you can flip them over to Exodus. I also have this on the screen for you because I love you. But if you don't have your Bible, you can use the screen. But if you do have your Bible, I would love you to turn to Exodus chapter 6. And we're just going to take a brief look at what Sinai was because I want us to get that, ex, that, that, that Pentecost is a new Sinai. And it's a better Sinai. It's a better covenant with a better promise. right? But Exodus chapter 6, we're going to read in verse 6. The book of Exodus is primarily concerned of God revealing himself to Israel. Israel is a people without identity who do not know who God is. And God is revealing himself to the people of Israel. And this is Exodus 6, verse 6. It says, Say therefore to the sons of Israel, before I do, this is the most quoted verse in the Bible by the Bible. So this is a really significant verse. This is the Lord revealing himself to Israel. This is the most, this is the, what the Passover ceremony is consumed with this verse. There's so many references throughout scripture, right? So this is God revealing himself to Israel. Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people. This is actually proposal language. This is like marriage language. I will take you for my people. I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. So Mount Sinai is closely linked to this. So he gives them three, he gives them these I will statements, these four I will statements. He says, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to bring salvation to you. Does Jesus do this? Yes. He says, I'm then going to take you to myself. This is like intimate. This is like the language of covenant. This is the language of proposal of marriage. I will take you out of all the people on the earth. I choose you. Like when a husband proposes to a bride, I will take you as my special possession, and then I will give you the land, right? So this speaks to that God is going to bring salvation. He saves them from Egypt, takes them through the waters of the Dead Sea, of the Red Sea. They come up to the other side, and where do they go? Where? Sinai. Somebody said, desert, you got to study your Old Testament. Come on, somebody. They go to a mountain called Sinai. They go to this mountain, and at this mountain, it's a mountain of covenant. Say covenant. Right? This is the mountain of the old covenant. We could say that the upper room was the mountain of the new covenant. Right? It's an upper room on Mount Zion. This is the old covenant. This is Mount Zion. But at Mount, Zion, at Mount, at Mount Sinai, and you know, who was here a few weeks ago? Maybe some people left the church because it was kind of intense. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> who made it? Who's still here? Who was there when the last time I preached? That was a weighty word, right? right? Because there's something that takes place at Sinai. There's fire and there's glory. And it's a time where God is now going to do his next two I will statements. He's going to consecrate them. Say consecrate them. 
So he consecrates them. So there's this fire of his presence that is consecrating. And, he, and just as a bride consecrates herself to come into a marriage union, you have to say no to all the other things for the sake of the yes, right? So there's a consecration at Sinai, but then he's also going to empower them for the sake of mission because he's saying, I'm taking you here to consecrate you to myself so that I can then send you and give you the land, Right, And this is the promise to Abraham was I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to give you a name. I'm going to give you a nation. And do we have any nerds in here? What's the fourth thing he tells his, he promises Abraham? Through you, all the, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I would just say as a small segue talking about Abraham, we need to be praying for Jerusalem and for Israel. We need to be praying for all the Middle East. We need to be praying for mercy. But the covenant of God is an everlasting covenant. Through Abraham's seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And the way that that blessing was gonna materialize was through God in the Deuteronomic blessings. You're gonna enter the land and you are gonna be so blessed that it's gonna overflow into the nations and they're going to want your God. Right? So, so you see here, God is consecrating unto covenantal union, and then he wants to empower them. He says, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to empower you to take the promised land that is being contested so that you can fulfill your mission to bring this covenantal blessing to the ends of the earth. So Sinai was a place of consecration and empowerment by the Spirit. Let's go forward. I heard some of my staff was making fun of me yesterday at Journey to Wholeness. Who was at Journey to Wholeness? Come on, who got so blessed at Journey to Wholeness? I love Journey to Wholeness, but I heard some of my staff were making fun of my hand gestures. So that's just a forewarning. There's a disciplinary conversation coming at 6 a.m. tomorrow, church offices. So anyways, uh, Pentecost, we need to see that Pentecost is a, a, it's a new covenant, but it's a place of consecration and empowerment. Say consecration and empowerment. So the Spirit of God falls at Pentecost, fire and wind. It's, it's a new Sinai. It's a covenant renewal, and God is going to consecrate. Jesus saves us, but then he wants to take us to himself. He says, the church is my body, my bride. It's like, he's like, if I could find a way to communicate deeper union, I would. But it's like he's searching for any creative inlet through the human attachment relationship dynamic. And he's like, I'm all of them. I'm dad, I'm father, son, I'm husband, wife, I'm counselor, I'm provider, I'm healer, I'm friend, I'm lover. It's like, I want union with you. So Pentecost is about union. It is the fire of God to purify and consecrate us, making us holy so that we can come into union with a holy God. Sometimes we're like, is it why? Why do we, why is all these things that sometimes feel like they're cutting? Well, it's cutting because he's an all-consuming fire. And he wants to so purify us that we will enjoy fellowship with him. Yeah, wow. All right? And then Pentecost is about empowerment for mission. Say empowerment. 
wind, the pneumaticus, the blowing of the spirit, this mighty rushing wind wants to empower us for the sake of mission. And Luke is extremely diligent to make sure we know that all the nations under heaven are hearing the voices, the word of the Lord, the praises of God in their own tongue because he's trying to emphasize that the power of God is coming upon you for the sake of Abraham's promise. That through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That you're going to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. I'm going to consecrate you, take you to myself, but then I'm going to give you the land. You're going to make all things new by my spirit. Come on. Yeah? You guys with me? So the upper room's a new Sinai. It's a mountaintop of covenant and missional empowerment. Covenant union, missional empowerment. All right? So what is the baptism of fire? Say baptism of fire. Jesus says one's coming. John the Baptist says one's coming. Speaking of Jesus, he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. Say fire. It's so funny to me when people are like, more fire, God. I'm like, man, you know what you're praying for right now? You are praying to be purified. You are praying to be crucified in the flesh. You are praying for yourself and your flesh to be confronted by a holy God. I'm like, I'm like, go pray it, pray it, pray it. But don't come whining to me in three months when you're like, why does it hurt so bad? I'm like, you were saying purify me with fire, Lord. Last time I checked, you throw silver in a fire. It doesn't look like it's comfortable and feels really good. You're like, ow, ooh, ah, ooh. It's my favorite thing, I think. It's one of my favorite things. It's kind of a sick humor as a pastor when I see someone, fire, fire. Then they're like, my life, my life, everything is, it's a crisis. I'm like, fire purifies, fire sanctifies. I want to be refined by fire, but I I say that with a sense of fear. I'm like, Lord, softly, slowly, campfire, God, not the furnace. All right, so the baptism of fire, it's about consecration. It's about becoming holy, pure. That's that's what sanctified means. Sanctified means to be made holy. Say holy. holy. That you would shine like a star in the midst of a crooked and wicked, perverse generation. God can so transform you that you look like Jesus. That's, that's what the Holy Spirit does, right? On the day of Pentecost, we see that Peter had been sanctified. He was the same person who denied Jesus three times. Suddenly, he is, he is boldly preaching to the same people that could have the power, the mob that could kill him, saying, you crucified the Lord of life. Woo, that's a change. That is love pushing out fear. Right? The Holy Spirit is our helper. He helps us become holy. Without him, holiness is not possible. That's, that's true. You cannot make yourself holy. Right? The only pathway to holiness is complete and utter dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Coupled with unconditional obedience to anything that he would ask. That's the pathway to holiness. Complete dependence. This is why don't leave Jerusalem till you're filled with spirit. You can't be holy. You won't be holy. You need the Holy Spirit. You have to be so leaning. You know how you know if you're dependent upon something? You fall if they let go. You know, like, you would know, like, if I'm, you know, like, that's, that's dependence. I need that thing. I'm going to fall. 
You guys are chuckling. That's all you're going to remember is that stance right there. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is laboring to prepare a bride for Jesus. He's the ultimate friend of the bridegroom. He so loves Jesus that he's been giving himself to the church for 2,000 years to serve her and help her make her make her ready, right? And this is what we've seen throughout the last 2,000 years is that the more yielded the church is to the Holy Spirit, the more holiness she walks in. Consecration, which is the season I would say we've been in as a local church, is our best effort to obey the, whole, the leadership of the Holy Spirit yielding to his sanctifying work to ready ourselves for Jesus and to walk in covenant faithfulness, all right? Consecration is when God begins to call us to himself. He says, I'm gonna take you to myself, but fire's gonna come to purify so you'll enjoy that fellowship. I've been hearing stories of people saying, I have this, this, this desire for God that's unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life. They're like, it's not emotional. It's that I'm longing for him because there's this consecrating that's happening, all right? The baptism of power, the baptism of wind, the pneumaticus, the blowing of the, the rushing wind of the spirit is about power. Say power. Power. We're going to get inspired tongues, spiritual giftings, demonstrations of miraculous power. Dunamis. Say dunamis. That's the word for power. It's the same word for dynamite. Power. That God is powerful. Sometimes we like think that he's like not. He's like, he's just really nice. and No, he's powerful. He's powerful. The Holy Spirit is our helper to help us fulfill the mission that all nations will be blessed. Do you think we can do that in ourselves? Oh my gosh. No, no, no. Right? Just as we cannot be holy without our helper, we are not powerful without the helper. I just don't have it. I wish I had power. I have weakness. Thankfully, God's like, all I need is your weakness to perfect my power. But we don't have power. We need the helper. We're only powerful when we are depending upon the Holy One, the helper. Right? So this is what I say. The Holy Spirit is holy. Say holy. Holy. And he's powerful. Say powerful. Right? So if you're not living a holy life, there's probably something missing in your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Right? And if you're not living a life that's marked by the power of God, and again, I'm not, there's a lot of, don't, don't think that means shaking on the ground. That is an aspect of the power of God. But I think there's a lot of things that are powerful about God. But if you're not seeing power in your life, it's probably because there's something missing in your relationship with the one that Jesus described as clothing us with power from on high. Wow. He's holy. He's powerful. Come on. This is our helper. Aren't you happy we have a holy powerful helper. Yes, I am. It's really good news, right? So I want to confront ego tonight so that we can make room for the helper. (laughs) This is like really happy. I'm actually happy. This is going to be a happy message. I know three weeks ago it was like, it wasn't happy. I think it was holy, but it wasn't happy. Yeah? It was holy. I love the holiness of God. This is more happy. But we always have to repent about something, right? So I'm going to talk about the biggest obstacles between us and knowing the fire of the Spirit and us and knowing the power of the Spirit. 
This is the big, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna spend more time on the power piece, but I, I felt like I'm supposed to uh, quickly go through that the biggest obstacle to the baptism of fire or the consecration or the sanctification of the spirit is shame. Say shame. shame. Between Peter and the fire of the spirit was his facing the shame of his egregious failure. Right? Shame is the feeling of not enoughness. It is the deep-seated belief that if we were really seen and known, we would be rejected because we are not lovable. That's, that's shame. Right? And there's two primary manifestations of shame in the church. The first is if I'm feeling this deep-seated belief that I'm not lovable and I'm not blessable and I'm not worthy of favor and if people really saw me, including God, they would reject me. There's two manifestations that shows up in church. The first is works-based righteousness. Who's been there before? Which basically says, I will earn what I'm not worthy of. Now, come on, who's been there before? Yeah, that's a manifestation of shame, right? The flip side, if you swing the pendulum over here, and if my staff's making fun of me again, I'm going to make fun of you, right? The other side of the pendulum is, well, you know what? I'm tired of trying to, like, earn what I'm not worthy of. I'm just going to basically hunker down here and adopt this lukewarm vision of Christianity that's justifying this is basically as good as it's going to get. Like, yeah, I know I'm falling short. I know I'm still living in sin. I know I have compromise, but this is as good as it's going to get. And we start to create theology that justifies a lukewarm expression, a lukewarm discipleship ethic of Jesus. That's shame. That's just shame. That's basically like, well, I'm just going to camp out in shame. I'm going to make, I'm going to justify it or I'm going to fight against it. Right, this is if we're not confronting shame, right? But this is Jesus' methodology. I love this. This is how Jesus deals with shame. He just confronts it head on. <laughs> this is happy. This is really good, right? So Peter, how many times did he deny Jesus? Three times. Jesus is resurrected. I imagine Peter's still probably feeling like he even tells Mary. He's like, hey, go, go tell the, the disciples and Peter that I'm, I'm raised from the dead. Like, Peter's probably like, am I in, am I out? Am I in, am I out? Who's ever felt that before? Yeah, I had a big failure, and now Jesus shows up. Ooh, he's back from the dead. I told everybody with cursing that I never knew him. Awkward. Shame. Shame. Jesus comes, and how many times has he asked Peter if he loves him? Jesus is a savage. <laughs> what did everybody in that circle know? <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> Why does Peter break down in tears on the third ask? Because the shame is coming forth. I know you know. Right? Why such a confrontation? Why is Jesus so ruthless? Right? Because it's when shame's confronted, right? it's like Jesus is, there's a part of shame that's true. Have we all fallen short? Are any of us worthy? Were there anybody else worthy to open the scroll? Right? Which means, like, essentially that we've all messed up. Like, we've all screwed up pretty big. We've all done some pretty stupid things. We've, we've all had egregious, we've all had things that like actually justify why we should feel shamed in the presence of a holy God. So Jesus has to confront that and it's that part of us that's like, no, I know, I'm not worthy. That's the true part of shame. But the lie of shame is that that makes you unlovable, unblessable, and unworthy of favor. 
So Jesus has to confront it head on because he's like, yeah, yeah, no, you did. You, you, three times, Peter. But do you love me? And in that moment, Peter starts crying because he's having a response of both the exiting of shame and the reception that you're still my guy. If you want a more graphic picture of this, it's the story of Judah. Who's read the story of Judah? You may have missed it because it's kind of awkward and it slipped right into the story of Joseph. But Judah is basically the biggest screw-up that we could possibly see. And I use that word because I want you to, like, it's like, ooh, ooh, we don't like that. But he's the guy that said, hey, we actually should sell Joseph to those traders so that he goes into slavery. So that's the first thing we see Judah doing by name. Well, it's not the first, but it's pretty egregious. Then we see Joseph is now in Egypt, and he's got all this stuff going on with Potiphar. And then we get this beautiful little narrative, a piece of Judah's life that's supposed to be his character diagnostic. And it's that he goes to foreign women and gets them pregnant. And then his sons are so wicked that they get killed by God. And his son's wife, he lies to and is not true to his word. So she exploits his reputation for sleeping with prostitutes and pretends to be a prostitute. And she comes and gets pregnant by her own father-in-law. And then three months later, they bring her into the public square, would be the context, and say, this woman has been in an immoral relationship. And he says, let's burn her. And then she pulls out his staff and signet ring in front of everyone, says, this is who got me pregnant. Uh-oh. What's God doing? Confronting shame. And there's this moment where Judah actually does something quite remarkable that you miss. We miss it as the modern reader. Instead of saying she's a liar, which he could have done because of the gender dynamics in those days, in the public exposure, he says she's more righteous than me. And he actually confesses his sin And this would be the moment, this is what the Bible's telling us, why it's not the line of the tribe of Joseph. Jesus is the line of the tribe of Judah. It's the Bible saying, your shame, yes, you are all failures, but it doesn't make you unworthy of my blessing, my love, and my favor. This should mess with us a little bit. Like, it should be Joseph. (laughs) But God's still giving signet rings to prodigals. Shame is not true, right? And so this is why Jesus confronts shame, right? So shame is the biggest obstacle. Once shame is confronted, it brings us into the awareness that we could never, ever, ever, ever be holy ourselves, and when that dies, that, that impetus to try to earn, we, uh, we actually start to desire and lean on and contend and say, I need something holy. I need a helper. And it's that place of dependence and meekness that we start to call on the helper. When that obstacle is removed, it's like we are open. Send your fire, Lord, and do what I could never do myself. That's sanctification. That's, that's part of the internal dynamic, Yeah. Okay, so I want to spend the rest of the time on, the, on power. The biggest obstacle to the baptism of power, say power, it's, it's, uh, it's pride, it's pride, or I'll, I'll maybe use insecurity, like I think insecurity is one of the manifestations, but it's pride, because God's power confronts our powerlessness, 
right? So uh, uh, oftentimes it's in context of like talking about God's power that all this insecurity comes up, right? Which is like me-centric thinking. Say, say me-centric, right? So me-centric thinking is like an eggshell that like the, the tender part of us that's meant to receive the power of the spirit like just can't because it's like there's just a shell around us. Me, 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 me. Say that. Me, 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 me. Me, 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 right? So 1 Corinthians 12, the context, Paul's speaking to this church. They have all types of spiritual power happening and Paul starts basically revealing how the flesh is showing up, how this insecurity is manifesting in the Corinthians. And he starts saying, you know, the hand... Just can't say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. Because I'm not the nose, I'm not a part of the body. He starts saying, he's, he's saying, insecurity showing up as self-deprecation. Wee, wee, wee. I'm, I'm not powerful like everybody else is powerful. It's like, it's like there's this self-deprecating that goes on, and, and it's like, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough. Like, other people have experiences with the Holy Spirit, but not me. Like, God particularly doesn't target me, everybody else. And it's like there's this whole, like, thought pattern. Like, just like stay with me. This is happy. This is happy. This is going to help us. Right? But there's just this thought pattern, and what it is is it's like me, me, me. Me, me, me. And I've prayed for people before. It's like they come up, I want the Holy Spirit, but he never touches me. And I'm like, it, it's not about me. Like, we're not seeing this thing right. Paul's, he's confronting this. He's saying, no, 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 this is not right to say that you're, not, you're, you're a part of the body of Christ. You're, you're blessable, right? So, so the truth is, is it's not me-centric. It's not about you. We have to get out of the way and let the Spirit have his way in us for the sake of the body. Right? So what I find is that if we're stuck in this self-deprecation is that we are focused on self, we're not focused on the scripture, we're not focused on the spirit, and we're not focused on the nature of God. Because God is not a withholder. He says he's the father of lights who gives, say gives, without variation or shifting shadow. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He gives good gifts, and the Holy Spirit is the promise of the father, all right? So bear with me. Then he flips at the other side, and he says, insecurity manifests as arrogance. And he's like, and the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the mouth can't say to the foot, I don't need you. He's like saying, oh, yeah. And so the other side is this sense of self-importance. I am powerful. You know, I shake when the Spirit shows up. Like, I have the gift of prophecy, and prophecy is up here. You know, it's like this sense of superiority and significance that like, I am powerful. You know, like I remember, you know, like there's kind of this thing in charismatic movements where like the leaders, however the Holy Spirit moves on them, we like think that that's the height of what it means to be like spiritual and powerful. Like, and I remember Heidi Baker, you know, she always says shakababa, which actually means into the father's arms and her makua tongue. And everyone else just thinks it's like this cool word that you say if the Holy Spirit, if you're really spiritual and you manifest like her because Heidi does these crazy things. And then I'm in Africa and she's one day crying to us. She's like, you know, one of the most painful parts of my journey has been the Lord does weird things on me in the Western church because I'm called to wake her up. And she's like, I am a PhD from King's University. She's like, I have been trained by some of the best and brightest theological minds on this planet. She's like, I defended my dissertation to a panel of some of the most genius Bible scholars that the world can see. And she's like, and people think I'm an idiot because the Lord falls on me in weird ways when I speak in the Western world at conferences. She's like, and then other people try to imitate what the the spirit does on me. She's like, you don't get it. 
I was like, oh my gosh. I was like convicted. Like I thought that's what it meant to be powerful. Right? There's the flesh is just looking for ways to build this sense of like smugness, spiritually smug that we're powerful. Right? But again, it's me-centric. And this is what I'd say. It's not about you. You've been graced by God by no doing of your own in order to bless and edify other people. Right? Independence disconnects us from the purpose of empowerment. This is what I'm trying to get to. Faith rises for the empowerment of the Spirit when we get our eyes off of ourselves and we see the beauty of the bigger picture. Right? So this is what I want to try to do. I want to try to get us out of self into a vision of why we ask for the power of the Spirit because it's so beautiful. It's actually worship. Right? So spiritual adolescence to spiritual maturity. That's what I want to talk about. I got like 10 minutes here. I'm going to do it. And then we're going to call on the power of the Spirit. With faith, actual faith. You'll see. You'll see. I believe it. I have actual faith. Right? So adolescence. Say adolescent. An adolescent is an adult on the outside, but a child on the inside. Right? And this is how psychological, psychologically we would define a child as a child is able to take care of how many people at a time? Anybody want to give an educated guess? No, no, no. Can a child tie their shoes? Yeah, can a six-year-old eat food? Yeah, so how many people can a child take care of? One person. Praise God. That's what child's children are supposed to do. Naomi's almost there. All right? But a child can take care of one person at a time. So there's this sense of spiritual adolescence sometimes where we look like adults on the outside, but on the inside, spiritually, it's like there's still this child thing where it's just me. It's me, 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 me. This is what Paul's trying to disciple. He's trying to say, you're adolescents. You're acting like children. This isn't about you. Right? And I would say that the movement from, from spiritual and emotional adolescence to spiritual maturity is moving from a me first, say me first, me first ethic to a you first and then me ethic. Right? It's, we're never called like, we have needs, right? Like we need to eat food every day. Some people are like, it's all about other people. I'm like, well, try not eating for a while. You won't really be able to take care of other people. But it's you first and then me. This is Philippians 2. This is Jesus. This is the greatest insight we could see to stewarding spiritual power. Though he was in the very form and essence of God, he didn't account that something to be grasped. Say grasp. Instead of reaching for power, what did Jesus do? He emptied himself for other people. You first and then me. This is why Paul says at the beginning of this great poem about Jesus, he says, have this attitude. Don't regard or count other people more significant than yourselves. And then he says, have this mind in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is what Jesus is like. You first and then me. That's what maturity looks like. You're like, oh, everything God gives me, you first and then me. You first and then me. You first and then me. Do we benefit personally from being empowered by the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Why? Because it's more blessed to give than... 
Oh, whoa. Watch, faith's going to start rising here. I'm telling you, right? When we see the Holy Spirit rightly, when we see the empowerment of the spiritual gifts rightly, we aren't clouded by insecurity or self-importance, but instead we get gripped with holy fear because we recognize we are asking, we're calling on the Holy Spirit to empower us. And we're essentially saying, Jesus, I so love you that I want you to empower me with the spirit so that I can supernaturally pour myself out for other people. <laughs> Whoa, mind blown. Right, asking for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is an act of worship. It's saying, I wanna give myself to you. Will you fill me so that I can be a Philippians 2 person? All right, we're asking for a glorious burden that requires stewardship. It's not about us. This is what Paul's starting to say. This is why he follows 1 Corinthians 12 with 1 Corinthians 13. What does he say? What's 1 Corinthians 13? Love. It's all about love. It's all about love and people. This is why you have spiritual gifts. This is why he says, ask for them. Please ask for prophecy. Ask for gifts. Ask for miracles. Ask for tongues. Ask for everything. Because it's all about love. Right, when you see this, do you see how faith starts to rise? Like, oh. Like, we, when we get this me-centric, like, oh, I don't know. Does the Holy Spirit really want to give me power? I don't know, Lord. I just feel insecure. And then you're like, this isn't about you. I had a guy one time, he's like, the Holy Spirit, I just, I've gotten like five prophetic words about that I have a gift of healing. But I just keep telling people, no, like, no, I, I don't have the character for that yet. Like, I, I, I'm not ready. And I'm like... This is not about you. If you have a gift of healing, it's because God wants to heal people. If you have the gift of miracles, it's because he wants to bring miracles to other people's lives. If you have the gift of discernment, it's because he wants you to help people discern the will of the Lord in their lives. If he's giving you the gift of prophecy, it's because there's people he wants to build up through you. Like he's giving you spiritual gifts. It's not about you. It's about his people. It's about people that he shed his blood for on the cross of Calvary. And that's why he says, just ask for the Holy Spirit, please. He's like, I just want people to ask with the right motive so that I can give you power. All right, if we're, we're going to close on this and then we're going to ask. Turn to uh, Luke, Luke chapter 11. This is such an awkward and amazing story that Jesus tells. It's so awkward, you guys. I love it, though. Jesus is kind of awkward. All right, Luke 11. Luke 11. This is him talking about prayer. Where did I go? Okay, Luke 11, verse 5. If you can put it on the screen, great. I didn't tell him about this, so if you can't, that's okay too. That's why you bring your Bibles, right? It says, suppose one of you, here's the awkward part. Suppose one of you has a friend. You go to him at midnight. You say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For another friend of mine's come from a journey. I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, your friend answers and says, don't bother me. The door is shut. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. This is awkward, right? And have you ever gone to your friend's house at midnight, knocked on the door, and they say, please leave? <laughs> like, come on, this is what Jesus, this is the story here. And he says, I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because of his friend, yet because of his persistence, which the literal word is shamelessness, because of his shamelessness, he'll get up and give him as much as he needs. 
you know, like I, I sometimes like to think of like oh, my friends in my life, and you know how you have those people that like you're like you're 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 friends, like you're good, you're buds, but then it's like if I was like no no, no I I I'm not gonna leave until you give me some eggs and some bread, <laughs> and he's like no like seriously Jordan Pastor Jordan I I respect you but like I, you need to leave my family's asleep no, I'm not gonna leave your front door until you give me some eggs and some bread. This is what Jesus is saying. Like, because he's shameless and he's just asking in a way that's socially awkward, he's going to get what he's asking for. Then he flips us and he says, yeah, so ask, and, and the Greek would say, ask and keep asking and it will be given to you. Seek and keep seeking, you'll find. Knock and keep knocking and it will be open to you. And then this is the end of the story. This is how he frames it. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Wow. Jesus has given us permission here to ask for what? The Holy Spirit. I, 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 sometimes we get these theologies. It's, well, you know, if the Spirit wants me to have this gift, he'll give it to me. I'm, well, no, Paul gives it to us. Jesus is saying, you can ask. You can ask. And this is why you can ask, because it's not about you. You can ask with this, like, holy fear that says, I'm going to ask you because I want you to empower me for the sake of other people. Like, well, if we get this, you guys, we'll turn the world upside down. Because just as we can't be holy unless we've been consecrated, with shame's out of the way, and we, we can receive the help of that fire of the Lord, we can't be powerful unless we ask. And, and part of the freedom of asking is that we're asking for other people. Power is not used to promote self. That's not God's power. That's the power of the world. We're not asking for the power of the world. We're not asking for a power that we would personally benefit from outside of the joy of giving our lives away to other people. That's why we ask for empowerment. Come on. So I want to create space to shamelessly ask for the Holy Spirit tonight. So I'm going to ask, maybe can someone come up here and play keys and you know, the Lord's just been doing beautiful things. If, if uh, I don't know what time you need to get kids, but kids are totally welcome to come back in. And what we're going to do is I just want to wait on the Lord, and I want to actually just create space um, for us to just ask. Like, we're not going to try to create some hyper-spiritual moment outside of, like, I just want us to be an empowered church for the sake of love. A body that builds itself up, that everything I receive, I would generously offer unto the Lord. Yeah? So... How about you stand with me? Yeah, and I just want to invite you. I want to give you permission to ask. And if you want to come forward, you can ask. If you want, you know, I, I have a sense that some of you may be um, feeling a sense of conviction or something. If you, and I would just say that if you're like, you know what, that's been me. My eyes have been on me. I just invite you to just make a perspective shift. That's repentance. Just turn and look somewhere else. Look to Jesus. Look to his word. It's Jesus who says, I'll clothe you with power from on high. It's Jesus who says, wait for the promise of the Father. It's Jesus who says, ask the Father for the Holy Spirit. It, 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 it's again and again and again. This isn't about you. This is about Jesus. This is worship. So I just invite you to just shift. Don't make it some big, deep thing. Say, Lord, I'm sorry that I've been looking at myself. 
I'm sorry that I maybe been a sense of arrogance, which stifles. I'm sorry if I've been insecure, which almost like diminishes all my faith and expectation. And just look to Jesus. And you're looking to the most kind, benevolent, beautiful, generous father that you could possibly imagine. And I just want you to ask, just ask. Say, I ask for the Holy Spirit. And, it's, and, I, and I want you to worship. So maybe I... Just, just, just worship. This is, this is about Jesus. Lord, we, we worship you even in this making our petition to you for the move of the Spirit. Lord, I would ask that you would bring fresh empowerment to this house tonight. I have a sense that there are some that, that you know, we sang that song. It said, you know, I, I, uh, I open, like we, we create room for you. And my question for some of you is, are you open to whatever the Holy Spirit would want to give you? Are, are you open to any empowerment that he would want to give? Like I've heard people say, you know, I don't want the gift of tongues. That's weird, but I'd take this one. And I would just invite, I just invite you, like, are you open to the Holy Spirit? And, and we don't get to pick and choose, you know, but we just get to open and say, I want your empowerment in my life. So I just want to invite, whether it's, whether it's a, a gift and, and maybe there's, there's something swelling in you, like faith for a, a gift, a certain gift, a gift of wisdom, a gift of, of prophecy, a gift of, you know, it, it just, just begin to tell the Lord. Just ask him for what the desire of your heart is. Jesus, we are asking for a fresh empowerment of the Spirit so that we can supernaturally pour ourselves out in love for the other, like for love for brothers and sisters within the church, Lord, and in love for the worthless to me person, for the person that we could benefit nothing from, Lord, for the person that is hurting and broken and poor. That's why we're asking for empowerment tonight, Holy Spirit. It is so that we could be empowered for the sake of mission, for the sake of seeing all nations blessed for the name of Jesus. Lord, that the promise you gave to Abraham is still alive today, but we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I ask that the rushing wind of heaven, that you would rush into this place. Lord, we create room for you to come and empower your bride. Lord, you are calling us to yourself. You are consecrating, but you are also a spirit like a rushing wind. And I ask Holy Spirit that you would come and clothe us in power tonight. Come and clothe us in power for the sake of your name, for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of the ones you love, Lord, for the sake of the ones you shed your blood for, for the sake of the ones that you are weeping for, Lord, would you send the Spirit? Would you empower us, Lord? We are plan A for your mission in the world. We are plan A, God. And so we say, Lord, here we are. We present ourselves for duty. If that's your heart, I just, just do, just present yourself almost like a soldier presenting themselves for duty, for service. I just, I just sense that the Lord, there's almost like an activating in some of you. And I, if you just want to present yourself, if you sense that the Holy Spirit is manifesting on you right now, I want you to come forward. If like he is touching you in a way that maybe you're crying, maybe you feel power, maybe you feel just his presence, I want you to come forward. I want you
you to come forward. The Lord is calling you to duty. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We just say, have your way, Holy Spirit. Have your way, Holy Spirit. Make us a Philippians 2 people that we steward power like Jesus, that we would empty ourselves out for the sake of others. Yeah, if you're on the prayer team, just maybe come, let's just lay hands, just bless what the Lord is blessing. We just say, Holy Spirit, would you increase? Would you increase your power? Would you increase your power? Oh, God, we ask, we ask shamelessly, shamelessly, God, we shamelessly knock. We say, Lord, give us the Spirit. Yeah, just yield. He's coming. If he's coming, just yield. Just yield to whatever he's doing. We just say, Lord, have your way like a rushing wind, like a rushing wind from heaven. Lord, we thank you that we are in the last days. Lord, that we are in the end of the end of the story. And we say, God, empower us. Empower us, Lord, for the sake of the wedding. Empower us to be laborers that go and call people from the highways and the byways and proclaim that there is a wedding feast. Awaken, awaken gifts. What will people out there think of me? 
if I yield control to the Holy Spirit, you will become a fragrance of Christ. And you can trust your reputation to the Holy Spirit. Lord, activate, 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 activate. He's activating evangelists. I just see the Lord is resting upon evangelists. Ho, ho, I just see him coming upon evangelists tonight. If that's you, if, if the Lord's just touching you, I just want you to raise your hands to heaven. We just say, Lord, awaken the evangelist. Awaken gifts of healing. Awaken signs and wonders. Lord, we ask for signs, wonders, and miracles. It's not for us. It's for you and for your people, God. We thank you for gifts of miracles for gifts of healing. More, God. More, God. We want to be filled with sweet wine, Lord. You know, if there is just a power upon you that you don't know what to do with, I just encourage you to disorient it to praise. Just give praise to God. Just praise Him. If He's resting upon you, just praise Him. Some of you may be asking, what is going on right now? And I would just say, it's unexplainable. But don't mock it. Honor it. Honor the one, the energy of heaven, the Holy Spirit that so over-empowered the disciples that people thought they were drunk at 10 a.m. in the morning. Lord, we yield. We yield to the intoxication of the Spirit. Lord, that you would overcome with power that we can't control. I'm feeling some pain on my lower right rib cage, and I believe it's a word of knowledge that the Lord wants to heal someone's rib cage on the lower right hand side. So if that's you, I'd love it if you came up to the right side of the stage and received prayer. I also feel like somebody, you got like a right knee, and I think your right knee clicks. And I feel like the Lord's just healing a right knee right now. And like there's something just shifting in your right side. If that's you, just maybe come, let, let Benji pray for you. <laughs> yeah, just give him praise. Just give him praise. Give him praise. just feel like really heavy maybe like a, just a dark cloud you've been living in and you just feel so heavy well, we just believe that the, the Lord wants to just lift that heaviness give a garment of praise so if you want to receive prayer just come come forward let a prayer team lay hands
there's a, just, just rest, be patient, give him praise. There's another wave gonna come of his presence. for something to shift in my life. And I just thank you, Lord, that you would touch. You would touch my brother or my sister, that you would meet a desperate cry with power.
just say blow, Lord. Blow, 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 blow. I just have a sense that there's almost a, like a spirit of prophecy or like an exhortation that's maybe coming upon someone that you just feel almost like bent over with like this exhortation. And I'm going to take a risk and I'm just going to say, I'm going to hold the mic, but I want you to come up and I want you to release it if that's you. It might be a, might be a couple people. We're a priesthood of believers. The spirit wants to move through us. So I think it's somebody, if you're on my prophetic team, if you're on my prophetic team and you just have a burden from the Lord on you, I want you to just come and, and just release it. just be like a prayer but just God is just resting on you I feel it wherever you are if you're afraid feel like this is an opportunity to break fear man I just want you to come up here I want the Lord to just pray he's going to use your mouth Jesus, son of man, son of man, heal us. And he told them, go forward and show yourself before the priests. So they took off. And uh, as they went, they were healed. But one came back and he bowed down and he worshiped. And the Lord Jesus said, what? Was there not 10? But one went back. You know what? This is a knife that you're that one for the Lord. And in that, if you read that in the King James, it says that one became whole. Now let me explain whole. The lepers, they got healed, but they did not become whole. If you're a leper, your skin doesn't heal. The disease goes away. It doesn't continue to deteriorate, but the one became whole, beautiful, complete man, complete. And that's what the Lord wants us to do is come to him tonight. Come to him 
and he will make you whole inside and out. This is that hour. And I know a lot of men don't like this, but you need to read Song of Solomon. You need to get your heart open for the Lord because we are the bride. If you want to respond to that, come come forward, respond. If you need wholeness, you say, Lord, I don't want just the surface, the whole thing, the whole thing. The whole thing. If you, you know, I just encourage you to find our brother who shared. If you have him pray for you, if that touched you. There's someone else in here. I just have a sense there's someone else in here. You have a burden of the Lord on you. We don't do this often. We're just going to open it up. We're going to let the Holy Spirit move. Just have a sense. It's, it's like an exhortation. Like a burden of the Lord. I feel like it's, it's just as much for you as it, for, as it is for all of us. That you would come and just intercede or exhort from the mic. So wherever you are, courageous one, just come up. There we go. I'm going to back up what Jordan preached tonight with a sign and a wonder that the Lord preached in my home, through my kitchen, through my appliances. So on Thursday, and I can show you the video on my phone because it was so weird I had to record it. Um, Let me back up. For months, the Lord has been turning on our Alexa echo speaker at 11 o'clock with worship music. He does it three days a week and I stop what I'm doing and I listen and he's always speaking a now word to me. And I was like, Lord, why 11 o'clock? Because it's the 11th hour. When, when it talks about the bridegroom coming, that's at midnight, that's at the, the dark. So when the, when the Lord's speaking of the 11th hour, he's speaking of the time of the end. So on Thursday, my coffee pot, um, t- the timer on my coffee pot, I look down and I see it's starting at 11 and the time is accelerated and it's flipping through the minutes one at a time and it gets to 11.59 and it goes back to 11. And there's an acceleration in the 11th hour. It's accelerating, time is accelerating. Think of how fast time feels like it's going. And so we gotta get ready. So that was on Thursday. And then on Friday, I pull my, I I put something in the microwave. You're gonna think I'm nuts, but trust me, Jordan preached it tonight. So my my coffee's in in the microwave heating up and it gets to the end and all of a sudden, my microwave wigs out and it's beeping at me and the words are flashing end, 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 Jordan. End, end, end. What did Jordan preach tonight? It's the time of the end. It's the time of the end. Church, get ready. Saturday, as if it couldn't get any weirder, in the middle of the afternoon, all of a sudden our fire alarms start going off and we got a new alarm and I walked upstairs trying to figure out what's going on and the alarm is saying fire, 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 fire. There's no fire in my house. And I'm like, Lord, what is going on? Because I'm really getting nervous about Sunday. 
And so I get up this morning and I'm like, Lord, what is going on? What are you saying? And he said, I am getting ready to send the fire and you need to consecrate yourself. Consecrate yourself to me. Stop pursuing pleasure. Let me be your pleasure. Let me be your pleasure. And as I came down here tonight, the Lord was just clothing me. And he's saying, I'm putting a veil over you because you are my bride. And no one's going to see you anymore. They're just going to see your love for me. They're just going to see that you love me. And that's all that matters. But the end is coming. And I heard in the spirit this morning the sound of the shofar. And I heard the sound of feet marching. And the Lord said, I am gathering my church, my ecclesia. He used that word. I'm gathering my ecclesia. And I'm saying it's time to get up. It's time to go out. It's time to take what we've got in the church and get that fire on us so we can go out and spread the fire and spread the good news and start bringing in the harvest because it's the time of the end. That's what the fire is for. It's not for a manifestation. It's not just to feel good. It's so that the fire that's in us gets out of us and gets into our community and lights this valley on fire. So wake us up, Lord. <laughs> wake us up, Lord. Wake us up, Lord. Wake us up to what's happening. Wow. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Becca, just keep uh, keep playing for a bit. I'm gonna turn the mic off and I'm gonna come down. And I know if the prayer team's still praying, I just I just feel led to keep praying. And uh, it was actually a, a service similar to this that I had one of the most powerful moments of my life. But I was shamelessly asking. It was like an hour that I was asking, and I finally came up and just asked for prayer. So I just I just have a sense that the Lord is still wanting. There's there's things that happen in the lingering spaces, and so. I just want to invite you that if you want to linger, you can linger. And um, we're just going to keep laying hands and blessing and believing for an empowerment unto what Brenda was just saying, unto the mission of the Lord. It is not for us. It's for his people. Amen. Yeah, so let's, uh, let's just linger. Linger together and enjoy the presence of the Lord that's in this place.